All right, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. And we'll be looking at verse number 14 primarily. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 14. And we want to consider the thought tonight, unto the praise of His glory. Unto the praise of His glory glory. Let's look together at verse number 14. And for way of context, let's just go ahead and read verses 13 and 14. It says there in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Unto the praise of His glory. What a marvelous expression and also a very stirring and a very thought-provoking expression. When we think about tonight, and we could, we could say a lot of things about our Christianity. We could say a lot of things about our life as a believer. But if I was to ask us tonight, what is the starting point for a Christian's way of thinking. How should we as Christians think? Now, not so much about how we think about a particular subject, not how much we think about a particular thing going on in our world. It's no doubt we have thoughts on everything. Um, I'm off, often humored when someone says that they're opinionated. Um, we're all opinionated. Uh, we all have thoughts. We all think certain things about certain subjects. Uh, if you're fortunate, you have a couple thoughts that connect with someone else. But we all have thoughts. The Apostle Paul is not talking about dealing with our thoughts per se. And he doesn't even mention thoughts. But I want to ask us that question tonight of what is the starting point? What is the starting point of all of our thoughts? How in the world do we navigate a world that is not centered on Christ? How do we think? How do we, how do we navigate uh, what we've seen, for example, over the last eight, nine months and going forward? How do, how do we think about things? And I don't just mean, I don't just mean pandemic. I th I'm just talking about, just think about the unrest and the things that we see in our world and we're bombarded seemingly with it every single day. What should our starting point be? Uh, how we think about any particular thing ought to be considered in that expression under the praise of his glory. How we think about a particular doctrine in the Bible. How we think about a particular doctrine in our confession of faith when we study that. How we think about those things ought to be assessed and answered with one simple response. The glory of God is the starting point. God's glory is the starting point of all Christian thought. What I think, how I think... How I view the world ought to be viewed through the idea and the understanding that everything is being done and should be done for the glory of God. If you were to take from start to finish from Ephesians 1.1 and go all the way to Ephesians chapter number 6 and get down to the very last verse in verse number 24, you would find that the Apostle Paul from start to finish is concerned with this very thought. The praise of his glory. 
Paul deals with a lot between Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 6, but at the end of it all, his starting point, his beginning of thought is that all of these things are for the glory of God. And if everything is to the glory of God, then that means for the believer, everything ought to be to the praise of his glory. In other words, it ought to be a reflection or a manifestation of God's glory. That's what praise is. Praise oftentimes in our, in our Christian world view gets intertwined with worship. Praise is not the same as worship. It's a different thought. It's a different idea. Praise is meant to truly reflect the glory of God. Worship is what we give unto God for what He's done. But praise is something that we do and it's how we act, it's how we think, it's how we talk. It's all based upon with that single goal and that single premise, the glory of God. Now, there are many religious ideas around the world. There are many religious people who miss that crucial point that if God's doing everything for His own glory, then we're, we better be careful that we don't miss that. Because the reality is, is if no matter what topic we're thinking on, especially in the idea of religion, we are tempted to think about things with ourselves being first. Even when we talk about sin and salvation, oftentimes we're not careful. We think our salvation from sin is about our deliverance. And in the sense of the Scripture, that's not the primary reason for your salvation is not about your deliverance. It's about the glory of God. God's glory is the very goal and the very essence of why we do. It's, it's, it's what guides our Christian character, our Christian thought. We've got to be warned. It's a grave mistake to think that Christianity or even the Word of God is about us first and foremost. It's not. It's about the glory of God first. We are recipients of the great benefits of God's grace, but we are not the primary character in the story. It's hard for us to realize, as opinionated people, it's hard for us to realize that we're not the center of our own story, even in this life. And it's difficult. I mean, we've seen this uh, recently, but we've always seen this. People are, by nature, very self absorbed and very self-centered about I want things a certain way and I want it to apply to me and I want this to benefit me and oftentimes Christianity is treated that way how does being a follower of Christ benefit me if I was to write them down the, the amount of benefits that we get from being a believer are endless but do you realize that even the benefits are not the starting point the benefits are not the starting point of Christian thought. Our Christian thought is based upon the reality of God's glory. So everything we do and everything Paul's been talking about in this opening chapter has been done under the praise of His glory. He's talked about redemption. He's talked about election, predestination. Any Christian thought or doctrine that begins with something other than the glory of God is a wrong starting point. So the glory of God is our starting point. It's been said that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The question is, when's the last time we asked God to forgive us for not glorifying Him? I bet that's a sin you've never repented of. <laughs> Think about that. 
Think about, when's the last time I asked God to forgive me that in my life and in my Christian character, my thought, I did not glorify God in it? I'm almost convinced as I'm standing here, that's so convicting to me, I could stop right there. We could park on that thought and go home. Think about that. I, I've never asked, I can't remember the last time I asked God to forgive me for not glorifying Him. How often, secondly, how often do we consider salvation as only benefits or happiness to us and forget that salvation is not about benefits, it's about having a right relationship to God? That's the point. It's not about my benefits, it's about a right relationship. So if God reconciles us, puts us back into a right relationship to, God, to Himself, then what should be the end goal or the end result? Glorifying God in my life. Now these are hard questions. These are not, these are not easy thoughts tonight. These are, these are things, they're hard questions that provoke us to think about that the highest thought that we in our humanity can ever consider is thinking about and contemplating the glory of God. And that if that's my starting point, that's my goal, is to glorify God in every single thing that I do. Now Paul connects all of these thoughts. In these first 14 verses, this under the praise of the glory, of His glory, kind of ends a section. But it's connected to what we talked a little bit about on Sunday, about uh, our, our trusting and hearing and believing and being sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. This last verse about being sealed with the Spirit is directly connected with verse 14. So if you look at the end of that, it says, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. What Paul's connecting here is he's saying the praise of His glory is the goal of the Spirit sealing us. In other words, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God for the purpose of being to the praise of His glory. Folks, that's the main point of the first 14 verses is the praise of His glory. That phrase is repeated as the goal and the main point. It's the main point of the Father's work in verses 3 through 6. Those verses deal with the work that the Father does. Verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians 1 deals with the Son's work. So the overriding main point or main emphasis of verses 1 through 14 is that the work of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in electing, redeeming, and sealing is to the glory of God. That's why election is repeated. That's why predestination is repeated in verses 3, 4, and 11. Because the only way God receives the glory for the work of redemption is only if all of that work is done by Him. You see, the only way God gets the glory is if it's all done by Him. If I for one moment try to take any glory for myself, I have done something that I am, honestly, I'm not entitled to do. That is to try to take any glory from God. Now remember, this is, this is one of those highest thoughts we can consider. 
the glory of God. And if God only receives glory, if all of that work is of him, then think about how much responsibility we have to glorify him in our lives. So the praise of his glory is the goal of the Spirit's sealing work. Number two, unto the praise of his glory, the word praise, as is also mentioned in verse number 12, signifies making known. All right, so look at it in verse number 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. The ending part of verse 14, our text for tonight, unto the praise of his glory. Now there's something fascinating that happens. Sometimes the glory of God is sometimes concealed. You think about in the Old Testament, the glory of God was not always seen. Sometimes it was hidden to people being able to see it. Or sometimes the glory of God is not perfectly manifested. But what Paul is talking about here in this text is to the church, the Ephesians there, God had so proven His goodness to them that they could openly celebrate His glory and openly proclaim it. In other words, His glory was so seen, it was not being revealed, and it was not being imperfectly exhibited. They have seen a perfect picture of the glory of God in their redemption. So when I see the work of God in redemption, I am seeing a perfect picture of the glory of God. God's glory, God's glory is celebrated and praised and worshipped by those who are recipients of that. Now remember, there were people who were charging the Ephesians with really being foolish about their belief in this God. To discount or to disbelieve God is to misuse or to denigrate the glory of God. It is to make it something less than it was supposed to be. To make it an imperfect picture. Now, I, don't, I did not do a count. But if we were to go through and look how many times throughout the Old Testament and out the New Testament, how many times the mention of the glory of God is referred to, I think it would probably be a startling number to us. Because the glory of God is something we can only describe as an infinite perfection. In other words, it's something that the glory of God never comes to an end. The glory of God is never going to come to a place where all of it's been exhibited or it's been exhausted. It's, it's an infinite, eternal, everlasting thought. So when Paul talks about the glory of God, he cannot express it strongly enough. If this is the true purpose of God, then how could we ever exhaust the well of God's glory if that's His true purpose? Now oftentimes when we commend God for His mercy, we worship God for His long-suffering. Those that are true recipients of that will never be able to find the word to describe a voice of thanksgiving for what's been given to them. If we just, on the surface, if we stopped 
And our entire study of Ephesians ended with just the first 14 verses of chapter number one. We already have in just in those texts the divine mercy of God on full display and his glory being fully manifested. Imagine that. 14 verses out of an entire Bible and those 14 verses really show us an entire picture of the glory of God. They show us the main goal is his glory. The main purpose of God's work and redemption and election and predestination is his glory. And it's being manifested to us in order that we might also be a reflector of that same glory. That's why I asked the question. When's the last time we asked God to forgive us for not glorifying him, especially as recipients of what he's done for us? You see, when we are truly brought to the realities of who we are in Christ, we ought to be ready to even more speak. We ought to be ready to hear. We ought to express praise just because of what God has done. There is not a greater way, folks, of living in a world that is not Christ-centered Okay, this is an open secret of really of how to live the Christian life. There is no greater way that you can shut the mouths of wicked men than to display the glory of God in your life. I mean, we don't need to do God's work for Him. We just simply need to demonstrate and illustrate in our life the glory of God and what it's done to us. Again, I ask you the question, what's the starting point? Folks, if I don't get up every day with the glory of God as my starting point, it's going to take me about 30 seconds to get drawn in to the darkness of this world. It takes me literally 30 seconds. I, I, I don't have my phone and my computer on for 30 seconds before something is going to bombard me that's going to set me the wrong direction. It happens that fast. But if my starting point in my life every single day is God's glory and the glory of God, that's the beginning of my Christian thought, it does tend to have us think a little bit different in this world. When I see things that anger me and I see things that upset me, I have to think back to the glory of God. Now again, it's easy to think about the praise of His glory sitting on a Wednesday evening in a church building and talking about the Lord and singing about the Lord. It's a whole different thing when you're out in this world and it's not friendly to your way of thinking. Your thought process as a believer is not welcomed by the world. I mean, you try to give words of wisdom to an unbeliever and it falls on deaf ears. That's why it's so sad when you try to speak words of wisdom to a person who claims to be a believer and they don't want anything to do with it. It has to make you wonder, shouldn't there be a kindred spirit between believers that I hear words of wisdom being spoken, that I hear them and I receive them? I don't deny them. But the world is not going to be centered on you. Matter of fact, they're not concerned about God's glory whatsoever. Now again, what's Paul's purpose in this? Well, because number three, under the praise of his glory, that is both the end and the final redemption 
of the acceptance of believers. In other words, under the praise of his glory is the very picture of our acceptance. We've been accepted by God. And because we've been accepted by God, that is our final end. That is our reason for living. That's our our purpose for what we do. That his glory or his excellence should be praised. Folks, even in the dark times of our lives, God should still be praised. In the midst of this thing (laughs) that we are tired of, and we're sick of, and we're, we're losing out on things, God is still worthy to be praised. And I can't for the life of me, I can't understand how many people seem to be just running away from the things of God. God is still worthy to be praised even in the midst of what we're dealing with now. His glory, His excellence should be praised. Back in verse number 6, here's that phrase again. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In a dark world and dark times, you still have the praise of His glory because He made you accepted in the Beloved. If you are His child, you've been accepted. Folks, it is, entirely pop- it is entirely possible that this world will fully turn on Christianity. And if you think that's not possible, you're living in willful ignorance. It is truly possible in our lifetime that this entire world and the entire world system will turn its, it'll turn its back on Christianity. As a matter of fact, I think if you take God's word at its, at its, uh, at its, at its truest, you take it literally... I think Jesus himself said you ought to expect that. You're not going to get acceptance with this world, with this message. The world's not going to care about the praise of his glory. You're not going to be commended by the world for your stand of faith. Matter of fact, it's more likely you'll be ridiculed for it. But this, this is the picture of our perfect and present acceptance. It refers to the very whole of who we are. We have received an inheritance. We have been sealed. We've, been, we've received the Holy Spirit as an earnest or a down payment. Not for our benefit primarily, but so that God can be glorified. I know modern Christianity or form of what calls itself Christianity says the Spirit is there to really help you, to give you comfort. And yes, the Spirit does comfort us. But the Spirit's been given to us primarily in order that God would be glorified in this world through the recipients of His grace. The Spirit is what allows us to glorify God even in a dark time. That's the calling and high end of redemption. See, if I approach my redemption as just my way of deliverance from hell, I've started at the wrong beginning point. The highest calling on our life is the glory of God. It's hard to picture and think about a religion or a belief system that's not centered on us. 
the most popular Christian literature is self-help. It's things to help us. I'm not sure in modern Christianity, and this may happen somewhere in the past, I don't know the last time I saw a book on, with the title of glorifying God in your Christian life. Living to the praise of His glory. I'm sure there are books out there. I'm sure there are people who are doing it. But Paul's intent here, and really we're going to get into this Sunday and then into Wednesday, is Paul has something in mind here. He's, he's pushing them forward. He's saying, you've got your starting point. You've got the starting point of the glory of God. And now, as Paul breaks into the ending of this chapter, he breaks into a prayer. And the prayer is about these things expanding in them. These things getting stronger in them. He prays for their eyes to be open that they would have a, a spirit of understanding and that they would understand the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe. Paul's not just giving these things as, hey, these are things I want you to consider and think about. These are things he's giving because he realizes that those who are truly in Christ understand what it is to live under the praise of His glory. The earnest of our inheritance until you know that that word until is a kind of an amazing little word in this context you know what that tells us that tells us that there is something greater coming and that right now we're living in the until right <laughs> what are we waiting for until the redemption of the purchased possession the until is waiting for Christ's return we're living in the until times. The in-between. The time when the Bible tells us these are going to be dark and perilous times. These are times when your faith is going to be put in the fire. You might actually suffer. You might actually die for your faith. But this is only until the redemption of the purchased possession. What or who is the purchased possession? His children. If you're in Christ, you're a purchased possession. You already belong to Him. He already owns you. He owns all the rights to you. And if He tells us that I want you to live for my glory and my honor and my praise, that's not a, that's not a difficult concept for the believer because the believer knows I am truly one of His. Possession is an interesting word. Because to possess means you've given up and you don't have ownership. This is maybe just a little more practical than it is exposition, but thinking about God is not just someone we give our life to, but that He actually owns us. You know, again, modern Christianity says... Be willing to give, your, give yourself over to God. Well, if He bought you and He redeemed you and He paid for your sin, He already owns you. We're His purchased possession. What was the purchase price? His Son's blood. His ransom was paid. Jesus Christ died on the cross 
And by His death, burial, and resurrection, He paid for your redemption. Ultimately, when the, end, the until is fulfilled, the complete redemption of God's people ultimately is for the glory of God. We might say, yes, it's going to be wonderful to think about being in heaven. It's going to be wonderful to think about being with our Savior forever. But understand that ultimately, the main purpose of our complete redemption and our homegoing is for the glory of God. If you and I as believers could contribute a single thing to our salvation, then we would have to receive some of the glory that's only due to God. That's another, that's another proof as to why works-based salvation or why you merit, if you can merit a single percent of your salvation, then that would mean that you're entitled to some glory. Paul never once says this is for your glory. It says it's under the praise of his glory. Salvation is all about his glory, not ours. I can't take any credit for it at all. All I can do is respond to what's already been done. Paul is teaching us here that all glory belongs to God. It is under the praise of His glory. Again, as we conclude this and we think about it, what is that starting point? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, when God is glorified, we do get to enjoy Him forever. And remember, you say, well, there's not much enjoyment right now. The emphasis is on the forever. There are things now that are not so enjoyable. But there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come and He will take back His purchased possession and there will be everlasting joy forevermore. And all of it is being done unto the praise of His glory. Really an amazing thought to think about tonight. Let's conclude with our reading from the Valley of Vision tonight. And we're going to read this together and then we'll stand. We'll be dismissed and pray. We won't have a, a closing hymn tonight. We'll read through this and then we will uh, close in prayer. This is on 350 and it's entitled Scriptural Convictions. Scriptural Convictions. It says, O God of love, I approach Thee with encouragements derived from Thy character. For I am not left to feel after Thee in the darkness of my nature, nor to worship Thee as the unknown God. I cannot find out Thy perfections, but I know Thou art good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy. Thou hast displayed Thy wisdom, power, and goodness in all Thy works, and hast revealed Thy will in the Scripture of truth. Thou hast caused it to be preserved, translated, published, multiplied so that all men may possess it and find thee in it. Here I see thy greatness and thy grace, thy pity and thy rectitude, thy mercy and thy truth, thy being and men's hearts. Through it thou hast magnified thy name and favored mankind with the gospel. 
Have mercy on me, for I have ungratefully received thy benefits, little improved my privileges, made light of spiritual things, disregarded thy messages, contended with examples of the good, rebukes of conscience, admonitions of friends, leadings of providence. I deserve that thy kingdom be taken away from me. Lord, I confess my sin with feeling, lamentation, a broken heart, a contrite spirit, self-abhorrence, self-condemnation, self-despair. Give me relief by Jesus my hope, faith in his name of Savior, forgiveness by his blood, strength by his presence, holiness by his spirit, and let me love thee with all my heart. Let's stand together this evening and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Again, I thank you for being here tonight and I thank those that are able to join us by way of live stream this evening. And we're certainly looking forward to the day again when we can all be gathered together uh, in this place. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful tonight for this great truth that's been put before us. And Lord, I pray that we might meditate on this truth and may it not easily leave us. That we would remember that the starting point of everything that we do is under the praise of his glory. And Lord, in this world and the things that we're seeing and the things that we deal with, may we realize we serve a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control. And Lord, may it be our goal each and every day to show forth the glory of God in our lives. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the free gift of salvation redeeming us and sealing us by the Spirit. And may we leave here tonight rejoicing. Thank you, Father, for all that's been accomplished here tonight through your word. Lord, we praise you and thank you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being here tonight.